So we're on Genesis 2. We really did uh, skip through Genesis 1 and we're going to pretty much skip through Genesis 2. Um, I've got a word that I believe God um, has given to each and every one of us, which is, um, where is your spiritual Eden? Places of tranquility and transformation. And I'm going to sort of do a a brief overview of um, some of Genesis just to make sure we're um, remaining in context, really. Um, I take a a lot of my teaching from Genesis um, um, by um, Walter Brogman and another guy called um, Trempler Longman III. What a cool name. (laughs) Um, But um, I don't know where you get yours from, but there are all kinds of teachings that we can get. So um, if you've got your Bible with you, I haven't got the verses on the screen. We're not going to do every verse in Genesis 2, but we're going to go through some of it. Um, And I encourage you to to continue that throughout your week if if you were looking for some kind of direction on where to go in the Scriptures. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Um, It's sort of a a finish off from chapter one, really, the seven days or six days of creation and the seventh day. Um, And we get this, um, but I think I believe it fits really well in Genesis two, because um, we're going to be looking at where is our garden of spiritual transformation, spiritual tranquility? Where do we find that space? Now, I'm not a legalist in any sense. I don't break the law. Don't get me wrong. Um, spiritually or um, the law of the land, or I try not to, sometimes I catch myself speeding, but anyway, um, uh, and June says, you're speeding again, so that's my little um, radar to tell me that I'm speeding, um, which is lovely, sort of, Um, and, um, uh, and so I'm not into that same day of the week, although my day off is Monday, so please try and respect that if you can, Um, And But um, it's about where is our place, our space, our time away from everything else that demands of us. You've got to have that. And when, when, when you're a Christian, it's harder. I don't know about you, I find it hard. Because when I was a Christian, it was quite easy. It was quite easy because I didn't have church. And I didn't have God in my life um, reforming me because I, I knew what I, who I was and what I needed. So I didn't need God then until I realised how desperately shallow and empty I was. Um, so it's a challenge for us to try to d- um, divide our time in our work, in our family, in our social life and in our church life and try to make sense of what it means to be family in all of that. It's a real big challenge, but it's the right way. Because it goes against the grain. It goes against, if you like, the Babylon of today. And we have to be fish swimming in the opposite direction to the ways of this world. But Genesis um, allows us to remind ourselves our desperate need of that um, spiritual Eden. And if we're not developing a, a spiritual discipline where we can make sure that we're refueling God, then no wonder we get in a mess and no wonder the world is in a mess in so many ways. So this place of rest is important, which I'm sure you all know already. 
this day that God rested, which is an interesting thing, and we're going to touch on how we read the Bible. I know you, we've had Ray bless us with some teaching on that, but I think between us we could do a lot more work on that. But this, you know, this God in, a, in, in, in the Scriptures reminds us that God never rests, never stops. But we've got in this passage that God rested on the seventh day. So we're going to have to wrestle with that as we go through travelling together. But let's continue through to Genesis um, 2, verse 4, um, part B. In that day, this is another account of the creation story, the creation account, the, the understanding of um, where we come from and who God is. In that day, the Lord God made the earth and the heavens when no plant of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was no one to till the ground. Just for reference, I'm reading from the NRSVA, so not many people read from that one, um, but I was educated um, at a particular college who recommended that this was um, the closest you'll get to Hebrew in the New Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament, just for reference, that's what I was taught at and Oxford, and they're obviously right. So um, anyway, <laughs> verse 6, but a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flows out of Eden to water the garden and from it there divides Um, and becomes four branches. We're going to skip over that just a little bit to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you do eat it, you will surely die. And then we get the passage about how um, man needed a helper and um, then God created um, Eve from Adam, uh, from, the, from the rib, from the side. Um, the, my, my, my former pastor, Norman, who preached at my induction, told me this story about um, creation, a man and woman, and it goes something like this. Um, he said the reason why um, God took a rib from Adam, from the side of man, um, Richard, <laughs> um, uh, not the head or not the toe, um, so that they would be beside each other, that they would be alongside each other, to be with each other and to work together. No higher, no lower. We're coming about. We'll come back to that another time in the future. Um, but um, but my point. He said when Adam woke up, he looked at what God had created and went, "Whoa, man!" And that's where we get woman. That's what Norman said, anyway. So, leave it there with you. But what's happening here in Genesis, um, right away through to chapter 11, really, but we're only on chapter 2, is that Israel's writing its history. And, and, and obviously, um, most of the writings are attributed to Moses. Um, but all, all that's been gathered 
Um, it comes from, um, a large part of it comes from um, when the people of Israel were under captivity and exile. So they, they wrote, it's, it's, it's been said that Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are written 400 years apart, and Genesis 2 being um, an earlier writing. So we, we have to wrestle with some of these discoveries and work out, you know, okay, what does that mean to us and our understanding of the creation? Because there were many creation stories before this was written. 2,000 years BC were written, um, and the Babylonians had um, creation stories and stories about gods. In fact, um, Israel was writing to establish their identity and their roots and, and their understanding of who their God was. Because the Babylonians were trying to steal it. There's another um, interpretation of um, how the first humans were created. And it goes something like this. One day Eve was walking in the garden with the Lord. She said, Lord, the garden is wonderful. And the animals and the birds provide such absolute joy. But I'm still lonely at times. No problem, said God. I will make you a man for a companion. It's turning up on its head now, aren't we? He will desire to please you and to be with you. But I have to warn you, he won't be perfect. He'll have a difficult time understanding your feelings. He will tend to think only of himself and will stay out late with his bowling buddies. Obviously, it's written in an American person somewhere. He says, what's bowling? Oh, never mind about that. I'm just getting ahead of myself. Sorry. That's okay, she said. I think I can handle this man, she said. Great, I'll get right to it, says God. And starting to grab some mud and start shaping um, man, suddenly the Lord paused for a moment and said to Eve, Oh, there's one other thing you really need to know about this man I'm making for you. What's that? asked Eve. You'll have to tell him he was made first. My point is that the mystery and the um, challenge of understanding the literal formation of God's beautiful creation, um, beautiful people, beautiful world. We live in a beautiful world, an absolutely amazing world. We're, we're messing it up. I get that. We are messing it up. And, and uh, you may have all different theories and philosophies and theologies about um, what God is going to do um, in the future. Um, but we're going to address that, no doubt, at some point. But I, I like Brogerman's take on things. Yeah, this is a joke that I've just shared with you. Um, and, um, but it does beg us to stop and pause and go... What am I understanding from these texts? What is God saying to me? Brogman states, um, Walter Brogman, that is, that the people of Israel would not have been that concerned about the technique of creation accounts in terms of its literary writing, but rather God's lordly intent of creation. Why did he bother in the first place? He says this, the text proclaims a newness which places the world in a situation which did not previously exist. It, it is news about a transaction which redefines the world, the known world. Remember they were writing um, at the time and starting to write their, their beginnings either of chaos or of management, now becomes a new world surging with the mystery of God's gracious, empowering speech. 
For that reason, it is important to hear this text as a declaration of the gospel. He aligns it with the gospel. I don't know what um, picture you have of Eden, of your garden, of your spiritual place of, 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 of uh, tranquility and transformation. And I've got this wonderful picture in my office that you'll see at some point. I'll, I'll bring it um, and put it on the screen for, uh, for another session or something else. Of the whole of the Bible in picture form. It's a beautiful picture, um, and it's, um, it's got nine points to it. And Jesus is hung on a tree right in the middle, and we read of the tree um, of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life in the garden. The tree where Jesus hung, um, the, the cross then, as we know it, but the tree where he hung was a tree of death and of life because Jesus died, for us and he died on our behalf but he rose so it's a so we wear the crosses don't we as a sign of life not death eternal life jesus conquering death and um Brogman says that these these first two chapters um are introductions are prologues um to the whole of god's intention for us as a human race. He wants us to be in that spiritual Eden. Not to go back. Not to go, oh, what it was once like. It was, oh, you can't. It, church 30 years ago was amazing. Brilliant. Bring that with you. You can't go back to that. Bring that what you had and add it to what God is doing for now and tomorrow. Because it, isn't, it wasn't just for yesterday. It was preparing you for today. Today prepares us for tomorrow. Let's not hang on. I remember having this amazing encounter with God in 1996. And I never, I resist going, I really want that again. No, I want something new. I want something fresh. And that's what we should be aiming towards. We should never be afraid of what God is going to do. I I was petrified moving here. Because you scare me, you lot. (laughs) No, seriously, you don't really. You know, it's a scary thing. When you're happy, it's easy to move when you're not happy. It's easy to shift on somewhere because it's just not working. But it was working. And it's wonderful when it works. I want to stay. When I went to Bletchley, I didn't want to move from Buckingham to Bletchley because it was good, it was all happening. God was on the move and I was involved in it. But God wanted me to move. And we have to embrace those changes. Sorry, I didn't mean to swear. I hope that's not a swear word in this church, change. All right? I do apologize. I've said it twice already. Um, so um, you're going to hear it a lot. But where does change start? Sorry, I'm off track now. Sorry, I'm off track. Where does change start? You, you, can, you can shout out if you like. In your head? Yeah? Yes, good place. It's a good place for change to start. In the heart. In the heart. Head and heart. Metanoia. You know, metanoia. Metanoia. I don't know how you pronounce it. I'm not a Greek scholar or a Hebrew scholar. Um, but this, this 360 degree turnaround, it starts in that place with God. It starts when we allow God to transform us. And then we share that, that transformation through every fibre of our bodies to other people. And it, and it has an effect and, and their transformation has an effect on us. And before we know it, change is happening before we're talking about it. It's a beautiful thing to be changed in the glory of God. Brogerman states that 
this text, um, these accounts serve as a um, refutation. Oh, I can never, my tongue tied. Refutation of the Babylonian theological um, claims of God defeating Israel's God. It's, it's, it's counteracting against all other gods. It is showing that this God is unique. The God Yahweh, um, Elohim, is unique because he, for us, he is with us. And for the people of Israel, he was with them. And because of Jesus Christ, we get that revelation of the nature and character of God so much more clearer than what they had right back then. So God is moving forward with us. Brogman's point on, on looking at Genesis 1 and 2 is about, it states as faith statement. It goes as a faith statement. This is a faith statement. This is a place where your faith will be rooted. So our spiritual garden um, our Eden is so important for us. That's what I believe God is wanting us to, to focus on this next week, during this week. Because the language in the, in the Old Testament and New Testament is a huge challenge to get round. There's a lot for us to get through in Genesis. And we're not going to get it through, through it all. There's the origins, the beginnings that we looked at last week. The introductions, the prologues of God's overall plan is written, I said, 400 years apart. Genesis 2, written before Genesis 1. And we've got to make sure it's in context, what was going on in the Babylonian um, exile at the time, and all other things that are going on. But the language style is also very challenging. I don't know about you, but I was born in the West. I was brought up with a Western education. I was brought up with a Western culture and with a complete Western mindset. So to get my head around Hebrew and even the Greek of the, of the Bible that we have is a big challenge for me. But it's really important for us to understand some basics, such as idioms. It says in Genesis 1-3, let there be light, which can also mean let there be enlightenment, let there be understanding. Genesis 1-4 says darkness. There was darkness. It can mean ignorance, lack of enlightenment, lack of understanding. Then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, the word Eden can mean a delightful place, a temporary life. Sorry, there we are. Temporary life. And verse 17 of chapter 2, um, good can mean anything perfect. There are many more. I'm just touching on a few. Um, Genesis 2, 9, eternal life, the tree of life. Uh, Genesis 2, 17, Good, anything perfect. Genesis 2.17, again, evil, anything imperfect, contrary to good. Even the word immature comes into it. This is um, Hebrew words. The word naked uh, can mean exposed, ashamed. So there's, there's a lot of idioms, metaphors, um, and all kinds of ways of telling stories and Hebrew translations, as well as Greek and Aramaic and so on. Um, I love that, um, that question that um, Ray had to preach on, is how do we read the Bible? How well are we reading the Bible? Why do we read it that way? On what basis do we read it? What do we really understand? What is the context? What's going on at the time in every angle? And I think, um, and what is God saying to us in all of that? It's, it's danger just to be in a head full of knowledge. It's important, really important. But it's also being in tune with the rhythm of God's heartbeat and God's voice and listening to God's voice. And that's where we go to this spiritual um, place of Eden. I don't know what your picture of Eden is. I've already um, 
influenced it by putting that picture up there, um, you may have a completely different picture, and that's absolutely fine. These are just some pictures that I found on the internet. I'm not saying they're brilliant, I'm not saying they're right, I'm not saying they're wrong. Um, but I don't know what your picture of your spiritual garden, your spiritual Eden looks like, but I want to encourage you as we journey together that we, we've got to have that place, we've got to have that space, we've got to have that Sabbath in our lives. Um, for some people, excuse me for saying this, it's on the loo because they're so busy and the only free time they get to be locked away is in the conveniences. Um, okay, that's fine. Spend a bit longer in there. <laughs> Spend a bit longer in there because nobody bothers you when you're in there, really, do they? They might shout at you, but you can block them out, put some headphones on or something. You know, find your place. Find your space with God. For some of us, it might be 24-7, um, 365 days of the year. Praise God that, if that's you. But I believe that's in the minority if it is, Okay. And there's another picture uh, of, of God's um, impression of the Garden of Eden. So what does yours look like? How has it been shaped? What has aided your view? And how do you get into that place and that space? What's going on in the garden here? You know, this is a tree of life, the, the river running through, giving um, the banks of the river um, nourishment and life and branching off into four other rivers. This is um, a wonderful picture of um, being um, locked in with God in, in a way that we desperately need. Brogerman says, um, this passage in chapter 2 prefers to be told according to its own flow and pace. The telling of the story will permit the play of imagination and impression. Our gardens, our um, spiritual gardens, are an essential place for us to go. It gives us the opportunity to make sure we're closer and closer and closer to God. The question is, how, how, what model are we following? What influence have we got in that? Well, for me, I want to encourage us to turn to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is the starting point for all of us. Um, Luke chapter 5 says... Um, Jesus would often withdraw to a deserted, a lonely place, um, a place of wilderness. He would slip away and pray. Now, Jesus, we don't, I, don't, I don't recall reading in the scriptures Jesus going up to Peter or John or Simon and saying, excuse me, I'm just, just going to nip out for a little prayer. You'll be all right for there for a little minute, okay? Or, right, there's a prayer meeting I want you all there. <laughs> Apart from the garden, you have to go and there towards the end, doesn't he? You're falling asleep again. Wake up. <laughs> um, but Jesus just goes, doesn't he? Just disappears off. Um, and it's co- constantly throughout the Gospels. He just goes. So if you can't get hold of me, please assume I'm just spending time with the Father. Okay? And I'll assume the same for you if I can't get hold of you. Okay? So don't panic if we can't get hold of each other. Let's assume, we're going to be looking at this a little bit later in, in um, self-preservation, uh, is the conditioning of our minds. Is what are you first, what's your first thought about something when you can't get hold of somebody? Oh, where are they? I've been trying for days to get hold of them. Um, and we start the negative route, don't we, if we're not careful? Let's assume the opposite, because the devil wants to get into us and assume the negative always first. But we've got to preserve what is pure. 
So chapter 5, Jesus is the one that models going off into the place of spiritual tranquility and transformation as if Jesus needed to be transformed. So in, in chapter um, six, 5, it's right in the middle, um, if you like, of chapter 3 and chapter 8 where Jesus is busy healing um, Raising the dead and, and people are reaching out and wanting to have a piece of Jesus. But he himself still needs to go to a place of tranquility because of his humanness. God is showing his nature, his character to us through Jesus and showing us what we need. And Jesus is our example. I love the bit in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 30 and 31. Then I was beside him like a master worker, and I was daily his, rejoicing before him always. Rejoice in verse 31 in his inhabited world and delighting in the human race. You know, um, one of the things... Um, for me, that happened to me as a, as a Christian, is I did have quite a Damascus Road um, encounter with God. I didn't have that flash light and, and, and Jesus speaking audibly to me. Um, but I could honestly say I used to hate people. I can honestly say I don't hate people now um, because God has done something. And as a Christian, if we're ever in that place where we really resent and hate somebody, we need to go to that spiritual Eden and find tranquility and transformation because that's not the will of God. Because in that passage in Proverbs, rejoice in his inhabited world and delight in, in the human race. We've got to love like Jesus loves. And there was no condition on that. Till death do us part. Till death on the cross. God invites us into his space daily. It is to be our Eden. We've got to make sure we create a space where it is our Eden because it is a place where our relationship with the creator increases. It is a place where we enjoy working. I'm a weirdo because I love working. I enjoy, even before being a Christian, I love to work. I would work 90 hours a week and that's not an exaggeration. I was a bit of a workaholic, so I did have an issue, obviously. Um, but I love working. I enjoy it. We, Adam was, was told to till the ground, to work the ground. He enjoyed working because it was not burdensome to work for God. And wherever you are, whatever you do for a living, try to reverse it around if you haven't done already. I'm doing this to shine the glory of the Lord. The Lord has appointed me this position to be his shining stars in the universe, right here, right in this place. He's prepared you for that place. It's a a place of sanctuary. It's a place of resting, of being. It is a place for us to live in the max of his presence. It is a place of community, this Eden, this spiritual Eden. It is a place of harmony. It is a place to delight in the three-way relationship, God, us, and others, it will restore you. It's a place where we taste, touch, and test, and get transformed. So, very quickly, taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good, verse 8 of chapter 34. This is a place where we taste and know that God is tangible. God is present everywhere. 
Wherever you, wherever it's busyness, wherever your place of spiritual eating is, you've got you to learn to taste how real God is, how, how powerful, how, how tangible his presence is. And that's how we are invited to enter into that constant spiritual Eden, that spiritual garden. We are to allow ourselves to be touched by God. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, Jesus, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Healed all of them in a busyness. Would you love that? Come on, I would. Um, you know, this is this is coveting now. I do. A, I'm, I'm among brothers and sisters. I'm coveting. I would love to walk down um, Peterborough um, High Street or whatever it's called, um, and and it's busy and people are touching me and they're getting healed. Come on, who wouldn't want that? Not because I, I'm, I've got the power of healing, but because God, I'm so close to God that people get healed. Come on, hands up, don't be ashamed. It's okay, to, it's okay, I want to. I, I pray this time next year, we're, we're, we're seeing that happen in this church. That we're walking down um, Breton um, Centre or, or, or Peterborough and, and people bump into us and brush into us and all of a sudden they get healed. Ah, oh, that would be heaven for me. Um, if, even if it's not me, it's you. I'd love it to happen. Doesn't matter who it is, may it happen. But this is, I want to be touched in my spiritual Eden. I want to be touched by the healing power because that spiritual Eden is a place of wholeness, healing and freedom in Jesus Christ. Wholeness, healing and freedom. And I don't know about you, but I need to have that wholeness and that healing and that freedom daily in my life. Otherwise, I would not survive. I can't even imagine how I survived without knowing Jesus. I really don't. I look back and I think, you Wally, you wasted 28 years of your life. When I was 15, people tried to witness to me. And I managed to get them away from the church. That's how the power of influence I had. I got people away from the church. And now, praise God, I use it for the other way around. <laughs> Hopefully, that's my, that's my intention. The third one. So you've got, you got taste, you've got to get touched by God, and you've got to be tested. Not tested by God, but to allow yourself to test how deep is your faith. I like the, um, the analogy of uh, a palm tree. Um, a palm tree um, can survive in a desert, can survive without rain for a very long time. Um, but, and, and it bends over, and it bends so far over that it touches the top of the, the palm tree, touches the ground. And then it springs back up. Why? Because it digs deeper and deeper and deeper until it finds that living water. And in our places of tranquility and transformation, we have to dig deeper in our soul, in our very being, to ensure that God is in every secret place of who we are, so that we can never snap. Because I don't know about you, I used to snap a lot. And it doesn't, it doesn't keep things calm. You know, often you, you hear of um, history of, of peace being done through war. <laughs> that doesn't even make sense, peace coming through war. It only just breeds war, doesn't it? Fire, you know, breeds fire, etc. So that place of testing in Thessalonians, um, which is up there, you know, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Now, this is talking about the teachings that you hear, um, but, and which is right. You've got to test what you hear and what you're receiving in that place of tranquility. I remember when I, 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 was, I wasn't in a charismatic church. We were in a, a typical evangelical church, really. Um, and, um, and I started getting teachings on the spiritual gifts. 
um, and speaking in tongues and healing and prophecy and all this kind of stuff. And it wasn't happening in the church I was in. I thought, oh, what do I do? So every day when we had these conversations and Bible studies, I got home and I just sat and opened the word of God and read the passages and prayed, Holy Spirit, help me to know what I need to know. But more importantly, put peace in my heart of where I am in my understanding of this text. And sometimes that's all we can hope for because there's so many conflicting different views. So testing our faith, a place where we allow ourselves to test ourselves to go deeper with God because there is so much more. You know, Samuel, is the part of testing is listening. Samuel 3.10, First Samuel 3.10 says... Um, it says, now the Lord came and stood there. This is the third time now. Calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. If we want to be really tested for our faith to go deeper, we've got to listen more th- through God's word, through his spirit. And there's a danger I mentioned earlier about looking back um, how things once were. Let's not get locked in the nostalgia of what, how it was once when I was this and that or the other. God did that then in preparation for you now, in preparation for what's going to happen. And the last T, you've got four T's here, four T's, transformation. Because from here, we are never to be the same again. You know, my prayer is whenever we come into church, we come as we are, but when we leave church, we, we, we allow ourselves to be provoked by the, by the word of God and to, be, and, and to be sent out there, being transformed. Um, and that's why I, I need my spiritual Eden, is because I want to be transformed. And um, verse 2 of Romans 12, Do not be conformed to the, this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. Taste, touch. Now, I know that's a dangerous word in this um, world sometimes, touch. Um, I want to be touched by Jesus. I'm not ashamed of that. I want to be touched because I want to be transformed. I want my faith to be tested, um, and I'm going to allow my faith to be tested. Um, I don't care too much about my theology as much as I do my faith. My faith is more important than my theology. I love theology. I'm a theological junkie. I'm not a theologian, really, but I'm a theological junkie, and I read all kinds of stuff. Um, Don't get half of it, and I can't retain most of it, but I love engaging in it. But my faith is what holds me together. Our faith is what holds us individually together, but it's also what holds us united together. Because it doesn't matter as long as our faith is in Jesus Christ who is the one that can refresh our souls. He's the one that will transform us. You'll be a part of my transformation and I, and I anticipate to be part of your transformation. But the one that really does a transforming is God. Is God. But we play a part in that because we journey together. So, where are you in your spiritual Eden? I'm going to invite the band just to return as I lead us into an opportunity to respond to um, what God has said to you. Maybe he hasn't said anything to you just yet. Maybe you've missed it. I don't know. I want you to just um, humour me for a little while as the band gets ready, as we prepare to sing it as well with my soul, or just to sit and listen. Um, Imagine yourself as a sponge. I'm a sponge. I'm a sponge for knowledge uh, and I'm a sponge for the church. I love the church. Um, I can't get enough of the church. Um, 
I'm a sponge for theology, as I said. I'm a sponge for all that stuff. Everything else, um, sadly, wrongly as it may be, comes almost second in my life. And I have to learn disciplines. But I don't want to be dry. I don't want to be a dry sponge. I don't know if you feel like a dry sponge at times. Maybe you feel like a dry sponge today. I don't want to be a damp sponge either. I don't want to just be damp. I don't want just a bit of God. I don't want a bit of the Holy Spirit. I want to be drenched in it. I want to have the Holy Spirit oozing out of me. Because if it oozes out of you, I hope that's not making you feel like you want to go to the toilet. I do apologise. <clears throat> if it oozes out of you, it runs onto other people. A bit like the oil on the beard of Aaron. It runs down his cloak. I want to be so soaked, so saturated. I don't want to be dry. I don't want to be damp. I want to be drenched in the presence of God at all times, in all places. Even through my difficult times, my anchor is Jesus. I still got to deal with all that rubbish, but my anchor is Jesus. And in that moment, in that time of adversity and whatever else, I'm in the garden. I'm in my spiritual Eden because I'm drinking from what God is pouring in that river of life, that tree of life. Where is your spiritual Eden? Where are you? Do you are you so dry that you need the Holy Spirit again? Or maybe you've never invited the Holy Spirit in your life. Wow, you're missing out. You need it. I need it. Holy Spirit will give you all the energy you need and all the wisdom you need through Jesus Christ. If you're damp and you're like, yeah, I'm quite happy, don't just be content. Be drenched. Wherever you are, if you're full of the Holy Spirit and you're oozing it, let it flood onto other people. Bless other people with it, okay? So wherever you are this morning, I invite you just to be still for a moment before the band starts to lead us, before we have the music come on. Just be still. And we're going to invite the Holy Spirit. The best time to invite the Holy Spirit when there's no atmosphere, no music, no lighting, just as it is. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Maybe this is the first time you've ever said, Holy Spirit, I welcome you into my life. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be baptised in the Holy Spirit. I want to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. If you've never been immersed in the Holy Spirit, now's the time. Don't let it pass you by. Let this be your spiritual Eden. If you're just damp, then ask for more. More of your Holy Spirit. If you're drenched, then give glory to God and let others drink from that that comes from you. Because Jesus is pouring into you and wanting to pour onto others. Where is your spiritual Eden? How dry, how damp, how drenched are you?